0: Welcome,
1: this is Why Life Is, I'm Niles McFlower, and tonight we have, well, a very interesting show. Uh, we're going to deal with the life of masters of the ageless wisdom, and uh, those uh, beings are the uh, beginning, we'll say, of leaving what we would consider to be what is the human range of life. So, in other words, you're no longer a human being. If you're in that category, that doesn't mean that you can't uh, have contact with or serve in some ways uh, with and for uh, humans. It just means that you're no longer confined by the fetters and uh, other kinds of necessary problems. <laughs> I say necessary because it's a it's nature of being human um, that human beings have. So you're beyond that aspect of life. Also, it means uh, a number of changes in consciousness uh, we are a, a being can exist in, because that's important, and the elements of time and space become closer together, so that all kinds of physics changes take place in the life of these beings, and in addition, they have a much longer life than what we can expect to have as a human being, because they are Liberated souls.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, that sounds like, well, are we imprisoned souls? <laughs> Something like that, actually. So, uh, we can call them, and as a matter of fact, the first, uh, the first level of these, uh, masters of ageless wisdom are, are called the, uh, the soul kingdom. They are a kingdom of souls different than the human kingdom. And why do we call them a kingdom of souls? Why do we say they are souls? Is because they have liberated themselves from depending upon, uh, another, uh, being, which is called a solar angel, from, uh, from being subservient to, uh, that, uh, particular being. And instead, they are becoming, uh, joined to in a kind of, uh, Almost like a, a a marriage of sorts, uh, with this being that has been more or less taking care of a human soul for a long time. Uh, this will all be explained tonight, but it sounds a little strange, uh, especially when we talk about it in human terms, because it has this kind of connotation like, oh, is it family? Are they married like, uh, you know, man and wife? And all, well, we'll get into that, but it's, uh, it's not, it's not as, uh, it's not as uh we'll say familiar as it sounds now, next to the question then is well, uh, are we only talking about the kingdom of souls because that's the next place, it's the next stop for human beings, if they, assuming they make it out of being a human being, which we're designed to do, and we make it back to being our souls, of course, and our soul get, it liberates itself from. The place where it exists, which is called the higher monastic or mental plane. And if, if the set soul can leave where it is, which is the whole purpose of its journey, uh, it then uh, resides in another dimension of time and space completely. That dimension is called the Buddhic dimension of time and space. So the thing that we want to do when we try to understand What's taking place is to recognize, as I said at the very beginning of the show, that you're not only changing who and what you are, but where and when you are as well. So that's a kind of uh, different kind of idea because most people think of a being as something that is stationary in a place, whereas when you start advancing beyond the human kingdom into and the human soul kingdom you actually end up in a place that uh is living in different elements of time at the same time and able to live in a a spatial dimension that has an extra dimensional aspect or more to it so that leads to a totally different kind of life so as you can tell this is going to be a um, a interesting and all encompassing show about masters but at the same time, I want you to realize that tonight we are going back to a older uh, time period of about uh, just slightly less than two hours of time instead of two and a half plus. We were really running close to two hours and 35 minutes. And now we're going to be back to our, what I would call the normal of two hours. The reason being that um, another show was coming on after us, and uh, because of the generosity of this station, uh, we've, uh, had this extra 35 minutes or so every week for, uh, well, it's between one and two years. I think it's closer to two years, actually. And uh, during that period of time, uh, really that has been donated to us. So don't think, oh, well, wow, they're getting cut off or something. No, that has been given to us by, by this, uh, station very generously. So, uh, there will be another show, uh, coming on. Uh, I don't know much about it, so I can't really say a lot. I'll, I'll try to get a listen to it, but, uh, that's going to be coming on. And, uh, that'll be, t- uh, approximately a little less than two hours from right now. So you, you'll still have plenty of show to listen to. And for some people, they'll probably say, Oh, man, I don't have to try to get that last 30 minutes or 35 minutes in because that was really a stretch. Well, yeah. It's a lot to listen to, and so maybe this is going to be, for some people, you know, like, that's going to be a better fit for them. Uh, for others, they might say, well, I like the longer show. Well, it's, 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 a, you know, it's okay. We got it for, for that time we had it for, so we're very appreciative. Now, back to, uh, this topic tonight. Uh, when, uh, a human soul is first, uh, created. And it's created from parts of group souls. And, uh, it's assisted in its creation. It creates itself, but it's assisted in its creation by another being called an energy being. And these energy beings are really very advanced beings in their own right. They are, um, at the minimum, the equivalent of any, uh, uh, lowest master of uh, the ageless wisdom, and in many respects, they, they're considered even slightly higher than most of the masters of the ageless wisdom if they are an energy being taken care of and serving a human soul. So, this is fascinating because they are, uh, there for the purpose of, uh, bringing this human soul into a more advanced state of individuality and at the same time uh being able to communicate with this great being called some people call it solar angel, inner guide, whatever you want to call it. It's a being, an energy being. Now what's energy being mean? It means that it it has the consciousness of a super being, but its formulation of energy and spirit is, is dominated by its energy consistency. Now, it's a little hard for us to understand how energy, well, at least it is for me, uh, how energy could be more advanced than the spirit that supposedly is the thought of God. Energy is the third part of God's mind. How does energy become more advanced? Well, it has to do with the way spirit and energy join together. Uh, and, uh, they, when they rejoin together, uh some parts of energy and spirit uh which all come all comes from things beings called monads, uh it tend they tend to um uh, we'll say some parts of the spirit and energy tends to uh come together because the energy itself is the very uh, most advanced kind of what we'll call it thinking energy that is available. And it associates with the with, uh, with the spirit better than any other energy. That's an energy being. It's almost in, in most most explanations say that at least in the monastic or mental world, the energy of a solar angel uh is equal to uh the consciousness of the spirit. You know, That's fan fascinating to think about. In some cases it surpasses it. And, uh, that's, that's an amazing quality if you really consider that. And in addition, uh, in the, these beings have three parts to them. So they have, they live in three different dimensions at the same time. Unlike the soul of a human being. And so the, their, uh, life is, uh, considerably bigger Larger, even than a beginning master of the ageless wisdom. Because they have a greater level, we'll call it, of uh, total consciousness because their spirit is spread over three different dimensions of time and space. The highest mental, the Buddhic, and the Atmic. And if you combine all the spirit from these beings, it would be greater than that of a, of a, even a, a beginning master. And in addition to that, the energy in these things is um, is commensurately uh, advanced, and again, more advanced in some cases, than that of a master of uh, Ageless Wisdom. The object is for the two, the master and this being, to eventually be able to uh, join together in both consciousness and service, and being able to interact. With others of the similar kind and greater even, um, making, uh, we'll say, uh, a huge level of increase in the ability to create more light in or on a planet such as Earth. So this is the, this is the, uh, we'll call it the goal. And at the beginning, uh, a human soul is really almost asleep uh most of its uh interactions are carried out by the lower part of uh, uh a a Cuban type solar angel. And uh this solar angel is basically joined with that soul in most cases for the existence time of that particular soul. Although there are exceptions and there are times when that the the soul may leave and the solar angel doesn't or vice versa. So you can have some changes in this, in this circumstance, but it's still for a very long periods of time that this takes place. And without getting into all the exceptions, because that's really too technical for tonight, when we look at see to see how this whole thing is managed, uh, it's really about almost like, uh, the, uh, individual soul is the child and the solar angel, uh, the human type, is the parent. Isn't that fascinating? So it's for a lot of time of the numerous incarnations of that soul from the higher mental world, specifically the second sub world of the mental world. There is a uh, there is this almost uh, nurturing nature to the solar angel to bring around the human soul to a higher level of consciousness and a higher level of creation and individuality. This is amazing when we consider that this being that we don't virtually know anything about is so critically important to the development of an individual human soul. Okay. Now, a lot of you, if you've been listening to some of the shows that I've explained this about, uh, may know that humans go through anywhere from six to eight hundred or so lifetimes, probably closer to the eight hundred side, depends on the planet. And in this case, uh, Earth is a real tough place. And, uh, in some planets, it may be considerably different than that. And even on Earth, there could be exceptions at the far edges of those numbers. But those incarnations are meant to develop the lower dimensions of time and space than the mental world or at least the higher mental world where the soul is they're meant to develop where we are right now the physical world and the electromagnetic part of it sometimes referred to as the etheric they're also meant to develop the astral world and also finally the lower mental world those are the realms that humans are here to create the realms themselves almost don't exist without humans' involvement, particularly true of the astral and lower mental worlds. So if if we weren't in human beings, those are like really vacant places. There isn't much going on there. We provide creation. We provide God and eventually the light of God to develop it. And to develop what? Well, to develop life on it. So it's up to us to do that, although life does develop on physical earth and to have a much lesser extent a smaller extent to some lower parts of the astral world, and that's good. we want to do that, but that's that's it's it's limited because the consciousness of even animals is just not very great, and it is the the thought of animals which we'll call the consciousness with its creation creativity together that leads uh, there to being uh, any kind of life, and then, that we call that spirit, by the way, and then the interaction of those animal lives with other kinds of lives or with each other leads to further development of God. Life is God's growth. And if we don't develop more of life, we don't develop more of God. And in the three lower worlds, humans play a very important role at a certain stage when the consciousness of animals has depleted the maximum amount, or almost the maximum amount, that it can develop without the elevated consciousness of human beings and the elevated interactions and creations of human beings. So we've got to be around, and it's very necessary. I know people, too, you know, they say to me, well, it would be a lot better if we just got rid of old people because they're screwing things up. Well... I could understand people thought about that because we do make huge mistakes and sometimes destroy whole worlds. But without human beings, the life on the planet would eventually cease and God's growth would fail in the most difficult places to grow God. So humans are a critical element to life. No small issue. Huge. Can't get rid of humans because you get rid of life in the planets itself. So there's no no solution by doing that. Okay, so humans at the end of all these incarnations start to develop their soul to the point where it is fully awake, fully conscious. It starts to gain a similar consciousness to that of the maniac or mental part of the solar angel. That's a very good thing to have happen. And, uh, towards the very end of the human life, uh, some of the, uh, souls that have elevated themselves into the kingdom of souls, they are called liberated souls, that those are the first masters. They may assist some of these humans in the process at from time to time, uh, to do better and to, uh, elevate their consciousness. And uh, here on Earth, there's a process called initiation which gives a sudden increase in consciousness uh, and mostly through the fusing together of senses of the different bodies of a human being. Good thing? Yes, sort of, but it's a sudden jolt and some humans don't do so well with it for a while, and it causes some suffering because it's mostly done mentally instead of equally in the astral and physical realm, which leads to some disappointing outcomes at some point, that may change here on Earth in the future, but for right now that's the way it is. So initiation is a good thing, but it is it has its uh, it has its foibles, and uh, it isn't it isn't only a positive factor. So when we look at how the Earth does things, mm-hmm. uh, it tries to accelerate the development of human souls by about double. So it says the plan on Earth is to use a a method of initiation along with a couple of auxiliary aspects to uh, about cut the time in half or double the time of development, uh, you know, double the speed of development, to, um, to reach a level of joining with the solar angel and liberating itself from the mental world the second subplane, and to be specific, the fourth sub-subplane of the second subplane, I know it's like a big long address, huh? To, uh, the fourth subplane of the Buddhic world. So you go from the fourth sub-subplane to the fourth subplane, but the fourth sub-subplane is actually on the second subplane of the middle world. And, uh, that's, that's the object, to liberate the soul to that point. When it liberates itself, it joins, uh, actually fuses with part of the, uh, solar angel in its lower half of itself. And, uh, it, uh, it allows the human being to, uh, to literally have joined consciousness, at least in the Buddhic realm, uh, with the solar angel and through the solar angels of other souls that are doing this. They all kind of can interact to some extent uh, through their consciousness together, and they can also uh, share a number of, we'll say, important elements in their ability to enlighten. Enlighten. So it's important. The whole element, the whole aspect of this is to bring more of the light of God into these lower dimensions of time and space it all makes sense if you think about the the process. It's really growing more of God. And this is a, it's kind of correspondingly a repetition on higher and higher levels, but with different, definitely different results. We're going to talk about those results today uh, more than I ever have so that it's a bit more real for people. Because I've had people say, well, I heard your show from five years ago and you talked about masters and stuff. I have no clue what they do. (laughs) I mean, what do they do? It's some kind of stuff that's too hard to understand. Well, I'll try to make it more understandable today by presenting this in a different light. (laughs) Maybe more light, who knows. Okay, so, uh, the masters themselves, uh, when a human, when a, well, a human being has uh, joined their soul and has become the 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 point where they're liberating themselves from the mental world and joining with their solar angel uh they are doing so in one of seven ways, okay, which has has to do with differentiation uh and it has to do with the seven ways that God chooses to represent some of its uh light or thought and in form, which quote means the thought interacting with others. So it becomes a, um, we'll say, a way of uh, becoming more unique, or as we would call it, individual. And uh, the seven alone is not enough, at least in this system. So uh, among each seven, there's about another kind of seven, which gives us 49. And it, 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 what happens is you specialize, and before long, you end up with unique combinations of these different ways of development and although of the first uh, seven eventually as you get down to the individual souls themselves they are becoming literally individuals and more so and they are becoming unique and the uniqueness is that each Create something that the others don't do in the same way at the same time. Now, time is a factor. It's part of the, the dimensional elements of what we're going to be discussing. So, uh, two beings, let's give you an example, two beings that are masters, let's say, uh, one, uh, is, was born, uh, 100,000 years ago. The other was going to be born 100 years from now. And um, those two masters, if they create virtually the same thing, it will not be the same. <laughs> because they're, they're, the dimension of time is so different for them that their creations will be radically different. And their individuality from their creations, because when they create something outside themselves, they also create it inside themselves, uh, is radically different. And so they're the even though everything else is the same, time makes beings completely different. And so does space. Time and space are really part of the same thing, and you'll see why in a second. So let's say instead of the two beings uh, doing this 100,000 years and 100 years from now, 100,000 years ago, hundred let's say they do it 100,000 light years from here and a hundred light years in the opposite direction, or whatever way we want to put it. And what would their time in space be like then? Well, that, again, both change, exactly as I described, about time in terms of space. And so you have a uniquely different being in different locales, even though everything else appears to be interactively in their consciousness to be the same. So the fact that beings eventually go back to even being monads, where they share a common consciousness, a common consciousness. They have, they, there's, you can't grow it more because they've got all there is, but they did it in a different time-space continuum, which still makes them unique and individual. Ah. <laughs> How do you like that? Alright. Now, if that's too science for you, it's okay. I mean, you don't have to always understand everything I say, but, but I just wanted to put that out there for people because I've heard this, had that asked to me. Well, if all monads are the same, aren't they sharing the same consciousness and how are they eventually going to become individuals? Well, they become individuals because they're not sharing. they're not sharing everything the same because the time-space difference is not, is different. And, uh, you know, so, Every being ends up being unique. That's the way it works. No two beings can share exactly the same time-space, by the way, which is an interesting thing. You might want to think about that. Why can you not share the same time-space? Uh, because uh, when you get to the lower realms, where we hang out, where human beings hang out, the separation factor prevents it. And so in the lower realms... We develop individuality that is impossible, impossible to replicate in all other beings in the same way. Whereas the monads are kind of the reverse because that's a very, very high dimension time and space. In their dimension, it's a natural state to, so, to have among some of them a, a, the same time space. But then in their situation, they have other factors that come to play in what they came to make them the way they are, which is all of the development below that they created as human beings or as animal life and plant life and human beings and all all the other forms of life go to make them up, and that eventually is what makes them uh, the individual nature because they still they still have that no part of individuality is ever destroyed well unless you're evil but that's a whole other story that's a whole other story it's a different different program actually all right so getting back to what we're talking about so this is kind of interesting so masters are really unique in the sense that they're becoming closer together in consciousness through, the, through their consciousness being shared through a d- Buddhic dimension in, and also through through the connection of solar angels. And their interactions are shared more, their consciousness is shared more, but they're more individual than we are. whoa oh, that's pretty amazing. And they're getting closer to their monads, which is the same thing is happening to the monads. It's happening to them. Because we're, we're all becoming more conscious while we're becoming more individual. And it is not a contradiction in terms to have both, which is the hard part of human beings. We confuse that. Even as I talk about this, some people will get confused by it because one of the illusions of human beings is that group consciousness is the antithesis, the opposition to, in thought, of individuality. But it's not. The two are completely supportive of each other, but you have to understand what each does and the way that it does it to get to that point. And that's what I'm hoping maybe tonight's show will do some good for. Maybe we will find out. (laughs) All right. So let's go on with this fascinating subject. So masters then are the beings, the masters of age's wisdom, are the beings who are liberated souls. They've left. They have left the uh, mental world and they have become uh, freed by being part of the Buddha world. Why are they freed? Well, a individual soul of a human being exists in one very, 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 very small point in time and space. It's called the fourth sub-sub-world of the second sub-world. And because of the extremely tightly confined nature of life, in that very, very small part of time-space, individual souls uh, uh, find it easier, not harder, to become an individual because uh, they can focus on such a small detail and develop some level of individuality due to the confinement of the time-space model. Now, once they're liberated, Their individuality has to come from a much greater level of consciousness and a much higher level of interaction that is intelligence, uh, in order to grow more individuality, and and they must have a larger, much larger, uh, we'll say, field, and this little this has to do with a thing called quantum field theory. Uh, It's also physics, Um, a much greater level of interaction in larger fields which causes the individuality to grow much faster while the consciousness does as well and that's the advantage of the master but the human soul has to be in a tightly confined area because it has such limited individuality and consciousness when it starts out that if you put it in a super-large field, would it get lost? itself could not develop. And in order to develop a the limited aspect of a self, it, it has to be in a tiny enough field so it can keep identifying with who it is. If this field gets too large, the self can't maintain who and what it is. So human souls, by necessity, have to be in this very, 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 very small place, okay?, terms of dimensional time space, whereas a master of the age of wisdom as a soul now is in a huge place relative to the to that of the uh human soul, which is now listen to this, the minimum size is from the fourth Buddhic plane dimensionally all the way down to where we are. That's where the master in its consciousness and its ability to interact with others exists. That's a big difference. I mean, it's like, it's it's even hard for me to talk about this without getting a little bit excited because the the magnitude of the difference in what is called field uh, is so great that the self of the master, if you want to call it that, and the um, consciousness and the ability to interact with others is so much greater that it boggles the mind. Literally, a master can be in all those parts of time and space at the same time. Now, how do they do that? Because their senses are joined in those bodies for a while, uh, and they can achieve that result. They keep what is known as the uh, structure, genes, we'll call, we'll call them. In, in metaphysics, they're called uh, spiritual uh, atoms or sometimes permanent atoms. And those things are a part of what helps them to create bodies as they need to or choose. They don't keep them around all the time. They use them and and, and, uh, let them go only as they need them. They can create them instantly and they can uncreate them instantly. So unlike a human being which has to have bodies all the time, in places where it really doesn't use them much, like our mental body, sometimes it doesn't use it all the time, and sometimes our astral body doesn't use all the time. But that, I mean, at least not to any significant level, it might be there, so to speak, but it doesn't, it isn't like we focus through it. And so, that's different than, uh, the master who doesn't need to create those bodies. Uh, that doesn't need to have them, I should say, all the time to use them, but will create them. As is needed, uh, I got that kind of refuse and confused <laughs> there you go, and so it's fascinating how this whole thing fits together, so the field this huge field that this that these uh liberated souls live in right from the get go is is a magnitude of of I'm going to give you a number uh, tens of thousands of times greater levels of consciousness. And ability to interact. Tens of thousands than a human being. And, uh, about 30, 40 times greater than an individual human soul. Uh, well, more than that, excuse me. No, it's a, it's a, I got that number wrong. It's probably about 130 times, but it's still a lot. It's a huge, it's a huge amount more times. And so, You get all this stuff together, you start looking at this, and you say, Wow, they really are very far advanced from where we are. How are we going to become them? Because that's what you're saying happens. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot, lot more and what their life is like. That's the cool part of tonight's show. And we're going to do that in just a couple of minutes. Now, I know we started a few minutes late. We're not going to be able to quite make that up tonight. But don't worry about it. I'll squeak it in, as they say. And we'll be back in about two and a half minutes from right now.
2: Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general.
1: Kind of a novel? What do you mean?
2: Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down.
1: How come the title is Afterlife Love?
2: That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained.
1: But how can anyone write about or know that?
2: Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. on what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want.
1: Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see.
2: I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower.
0: M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132.
2: Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the wise, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart.
1: We're back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, we're talking about life in, uh, of the masters of Ageless Wisdom, and uh, I hope you got the first part of the show, because i kind of explaining how masters are different from human beings in that part, and also, now it's going to be how do we get there, so to speak. And the process, as I said at the very beginning, is through a thing called initiation, but that doesn't tell you all that much. The object of a human being is to create enough light within and without to move life closer to God. Now, the life within the being, which is us, has to be transferred from the individual incarnation into the soul. And as that happens, it's done really in a place called the lower monastic world, the lower mental world, during that part of our life. It's, after we physically die, and after we absolutely die, we live there, and then that part of us goes on and becomes part of our soul. And we do this in each lifetime to enlighten God, enlighten the world around us with God, and have growth in God, but also to uh, develop our individual soul to a greater and greater level, hopefully, in each lifetime, and it you know, some lifetimes are better than others. Uh, you know, we don't have necessarily a consistent track record as a being, but we do our best sometimes and other times not so good. But regardless, uh, eventually on an average, and there's a magic number, 777. I don't think that that number holds up to being true for anywhere near a lot of people, but it is a number. And it, it gives us some idea of the number of incarnations, supposedly averaging or something like that, that a soul goes through, that is a human soul, to get itself to the point where it's enlightened enough so that in its last lifetime, the human, the human now, uh with its own level of initiative it doesn't come from the last initiation doesn't isn't isn't helped by anyone other than the human itself to join with its own soul and to do so in uh, enough light so that it can then further join with the lower part of the solar angel and when it does that the human breaks out of a thing called the lotus that surrounds the human Which part of that lotus, or virtually all of it, has been used by that, by that, by by that human and prior human lifetimes, students, and eventually those go to the students, and that's, those are energy fields around the soul, and the soul is completely exposed, but now able to ascend, ascend, called an ascension to the next dimension of time and space called the Buddhic dimension, but it doesn't just move to the bottom of the Buddhic dimension, it moves to the very center of the Buddhic dimension called the fourth subplane. And at that point, uh it is uh connected on a semi permanent basis with the solar angel. And as a matter of fact, one would say eventually it it's just a it's permanently connected but not completely connected. So I would say it is a permanent connection, but not complete yet. And This is called the cosmic marriage. Also, the life changes because the job of a human being is to enlighten the three lower worlds of life, the lower mental, the astral, and the etheric physical. But the job, really, of the liberated soul is to help humans do what I just said and help souls in general, do the same. And some of those souls are group souls, not human souls. Uh, also, some of those souls are the solar angels of other group souls or of even human souls. And in particular, sometimes, special human souls are served that become eventually
0: students
1: of a master of the Ageless Wisdom, especially a member of the kingdom of souls. That's the next kingdom above the human kingdom. And those masters that are members of that kingdom have the most contact with the souls in the mental world that serve the lower parts of the planet in terms of dimensionality. The lower parts, again, the mental, the astral, and the physical so that's what they're doing that's their job so to speak they serve those parts in in a whole variety of different ways and the varieties are divided up by to begin with the ways that light interacts with um, uh intelligent interactions or activities and there are seven different ways and those represent different forms of a kind of we'll call it the spiritual aspect of energy and uh, the spiritual aspect of energy is to grow more life so we call them rays because they help life to do that they are not necessarily uh good or bad they are just meant to improve the senses of life okay because it's in the third part of life's existence that this happens where we interact together good part to grow god in too that's very important it accelerates the growth of god accelerates the growth of life To have these different, uh, rays. Now, the interesting thing about this is there are, and in some language, some spiritual language, this is referred to this way, there are divisions, we'll call it, in the, uh, kingdom of souls part of what is called the spiritual hierarchy. Now, what is a hierarchy? It's a, well, it's just, think of it in terms of consciousness that it's a hierarchy in consciousness is also part of the hierarchy that is in terms of intelligent interactions. So all three parts of God's mind are represented in these. And in older vernacular, they call these divisions, the, the seven parts, ashrams. Now, I think, though, that came from Indian language, it may be Tibetan, and so it has applied for a, a, a period of time. I'm not so sure that in the future that those names will continue, but that has been the name in ageless wisdom frequently applied, but not always. All right. So we need to look at it from, from a standpoint that it isn't a word so much as it is a grouping together of masters who serve along a certain ray focus which allows them to specialize more uh, about the way life grows on a planet and to try to, in their specialty, try to help the diversified parts of life to grow as quickly as possible by being guided by masters with the common elements of high consciousness, but with this specialization to help the individual parts of life that are more predicated Upon what the particular ashram along a certain ray focus is doing at that particular time in space on that particular planet, which is ours. Okay, so that's really what these masters are, are are doing. They're they're segregated a little bit by their specialization, but they're unified by their common desire, or I, that desire is probably not a good word, but common we'll say mission. To grow more of God, uh, in form and to make light in form or virtue the, uh, the primary focus of what their, uh, goal is. They have these very strong goals. Now, the lowest, uh, next kingdom, again, is the kingdom of souls. That part of the spiritual kingdom is somewhat known by a lot of people. The next kingdom, in the spiritual hierarchy of this planet is called the planetary kingdom. Now, how is that different than the kingdom of souls? Well, a kingdom of souls is about the souls of a planet developing together to create more life on a conscious level, you know, mostly in the three lower worlds uh, and somewhat in the next highest, which is called the Buddhic world, or intuitional plane, for those of you who prefer that name. Now, The planetary kingdom is different. It's not just about Earth. Once a master enters the planetary kingdom, meaning the soul is elevated into the atomic realm of consciousness, that master is no longer just concerned with Earth. The master has contact and interaction with all the other planets in the solar system, and a number of planets... In a number of other solar systems within several hundred light years of here, so that's a you know, and, and up to maybe a thousand, depending upon their level of consciousness and some other aspects of what's going on in other worlds and other star systems. So we we call that a planetary system because it's I a mean, planetary kingdom because that's what it's, that's what it's about. That's what it's really doing, and that kingdom is a, is a big deal to get into because it frees uh, a, a master from uh being only focused in its service or mostly focused in its service, not wholly, that's probably wrong, Uh to Earth or the other two planets that uh, are associated with Earth, which, which would be Venus and Mars. And there's no physical life in any of those other two planets right now. So that's kind of the differences between the masters as we associate them with as the spiritual hierarchy. And there are masters beyond what we call the spiritual hierarchy of the planet that uh, gets beyond even that grouping, okay, and moves into a more, we'll call it, solar and uh, galactic uh, interactions more more services done with star systems and groups of star systems, we call them constellations, and also uh with the galaxy at large. So you can see that this gets big, and this gets real big. But for tonight, we're going to be mostly paying attention to what masters in the spiritual hierarchy are concerned about because to talk about the life of monsters beyond those beings it gets into things that are very hard to explain uh, on a level that human beings would understand it, and then also may not be that relevant. You know, I, there's a relevancy issue whenever we want to talk about anything on this program, because the relevancy is to help people to have a greater, better life Connected in some way with God. Well, talking about what beings are doing in the other side of the galaxy, I don't know that that really could be, could be justified. Uh, to spend much time and energy on that, other than make a couple statements about it, which I probably will do tonight. But it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really get to the, to, to the point of who and what we are here now. And the name of this show is Why Life Is. But it's mostly related to us here <laughs> and not why life is, uh, in another galaxy or on the other side of this galaxy because that may not be so related. Okay. Although it would be interesting maybe to do such a show, um, uh, as best as I could do it, but even so, it might, uh, it, it, it might not, again, a lot of people might say, well, Okay, so what has that got to do with anything? There's somebody who's very well known uh in the field of angel's wisdom that writes on the internet about things like that. And I read some of uh some of his stuff and I, I say, Well, okay, whether this is true or not it's not really relevant anyway. I don't to some of it. And it 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 just doesn't make you know, it it's not it, it's 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 almost like it's said for some kind of need to look like he knows something that maybe he knows or doesn't know. It doesn't really matter. But so I look at that and I say to myself, what are we really here for? We're here to create ourselves into something much greater, but not so much greater that we can't figure out what that greater means, but greater so that it has an effect on us now. So that we can do something with it now to make a difference for ourselves and for others and for God, that just makes sense. I hope that makes sense to all of you out there because I I want it to make sense. All right, so moving on <laughs> to where to where we're coming to. Uh, so let's talk about these ashrams. What what is that about? Well, and if you don't like that word, I, I I'm okay with you know centers. We can call them centers of. uh where, where a particular ray focus becomes dominant and that's where the masters are serving from. But they're, when, when masters serve, they, with a certain, we'll call it, differentiation and they want to specialize. They're doing that not just because they're interested. Now a lot of people say, well, interest is a lot of big deal, right? And, but not because they have, they have an interest alone. But I'm not saying they don't but because they want to serve so that life will grow more abundantly towards God and become enlightened. And they believe that their best way of doing so is through this particular specialization of the one in the seven with. So it isn't based upon what the human idea of interest is, which is usually desire and feeling. Masters can have feelings, that, that they have a body if they want it to use feelings. But they don't make their decisions uh weighted on that basis. And that doesn't mean they don't have them. It just means it doesn't govern their choices about such big subjects as their service. Their so service is, is really about uh, how God can best be grown. How can we make it happen? Here, now, doesn't seem all that impossible, does it? Because if you specialize that way, and that is your major consideration, you are really making it easier for all others to do the same. Now, why is that the case? Well, it has to do with a principle of synthesis, organization and synthesis, which has to do with the seventh line. And if you're going to, uh, try to do things as efficiently as possible, some people would call it economically efficient, but well, of course there isn't a real economy except of God's thought and interactions. But still, that's, that's part of it. And that's what they're attempting to do. And that may make more sense to people than anything else about how come one master is in this ashram and another one's in another one. And that's the reason. And they find that this works best. It's like a dance. And they're all dancing together. All the ashrams are dancing together. But they do it so that each of the others, including those that are serving within their own ashram, can do it better and in some ways more effectively, more efficiently than that. So that's what they're looking to do. So don't think of it as separate and individual separateness to, to just be special, uh, as maybe someone who's talking about the other side of the galaxy, but rather that it's special because, and it creates more individuality because it allows everybody else to do the same at the maximum level possible in their service. This is the kind of dance that's going on. And it is amazing to watch it because it has to do with the thing called booty or uh, intuitive thinking. They use this booty at a minimum. That's the minimum requirement to, to be able to form these ashrams so that each ashram, is at any particular moment getting the maximum benefit from the combination of the set, uh, six other types of ashrams together. Numerically, you can have more than one ashram, a whole bunch more, of the same type. So don't think there's only, oh, well, there's only seven of them. Now there could be a whole bunch more. Seven times seven is a frequent number. It would be 49 of that, and it fills in a whole group of areas that all still are doing the dance together to allow the ability for all other beings and, uh, we'll call them super beings, they're superhumans, uh, to, uh, or enlightened souls or, or freed souls or liberated souls, however you want to call them, to, and again, this is part of the solar angel connection too, to work together to create the highest level of effectiveness, uh, and this is done planet by planet when it's part of the spiritual, uh, spiritual hierarchy. Uh, so it's done planet by planet, and it's a, uh, it's amazing how this achieves such good results. You must have Buddha consciousness to achieve it though, because of what I'm saying. It's because Buddha consciousness allows you to, at the same time, have the consciousness of all these others connected to you so you can balance everything in a way where there's twice as much spiritual uh, spiritual thought as there is intelligent interaction. Now, why is that so important? You've got to have twice as much of spirit. Because you have to think for for the individual and you have to think for the group. That's twice as much. Think of it like that. And then you need enough to think for, uh, the, um intelligent activity at the same time. So you, you really got to have twice as much spiritual or thinking thought, thought of God present to balance out this, uh, individual, uh, in- interaction level and also the individuality that's created from the process. And that's called beauty. The uh there, There's an actual name to that balance. It's called beauty, which is the virtue that is created from the process. Isn't that fascinating? So you're actually creating a beautiful system of dancing together with the other ashrams. And so when we talk about the life of the beginning masters, the, the ones that are the liberated souls in the lower part of the spiritual hierarchy, they live in a dance together of beauty, and they, their world is one of beauty now beauty is has a specific definition, and I'll describe it for you right now. Each master allows all the other masters to gain in sense through the each master's individual creation of beauty and then sharing it simultaneously, simultaneously with all the other masters, you get a thing in which the sense of uh, the, the, the uh, interactions uh, increases the sense of beauty and the sense of beauty increases the consciousness of all those who are experiencing it. So when you experience somebody else's sense, that even in this connection together you also which is also their form you also experience because all the senses together create their form you also experience an increase an equal increase in your own consciousness it's a little hard to follow that isn't it so because it, because you're really starting you have to think almost in intuition to understand what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one i know i'll try it again let me, let me give it another shot okay Let's say you have a group of uh, of a hundred friends. a hundred of your friends, all right And they're all able to uh communicate their perfect, perfected sense of what they're sensing, which is not the same as what you're sensing. It's individual, it's unique, it's uniqueness. But they can perfectly uh project that out so you can sense it yourself, and as you do, your sense becomes enlightened by their sense, but at the same time your consciousness is elevated because your awareness is improved by the 99 others who are adding their sense to your awareness as well. So your awareness jumps up. Your The ability to take that awareness and increase it into what is known as uh, applied knowledge increases. And also, another great thing happens is your consciousness, which is the ability to then use the applied knowledge in unique and, and better, more ways, also does the same. And when you do that, then you share it with everybody else. So everybody's doing this at one time, which is hard to follow. And you end up with uh, the intuitional mind able to only to be able to keep up with it because you're actually sharing literally thousands of concepts that are coming from all the awareness and senses all at the same time. If it's more than a hundred people. So I mean, it's a huge, huge, big thing that's taking place, not normal for human beings to experience, and not part of our life here, but it is the life, is the life of, of the lowest masters of the ageless wisdom. Yeah. Okay. That was a lot of words. And if it confused you, you can re-listen to the show. See, this is one of the best things you can do. You can say, you know what? I don't want that guy to keep saying it over and over again, but maybe I will just have to re-listen to that a few times. <laughs> because, you know, this thing is like, it's stretching our ability to comprehend this, this description. It's just like, a what? That's a beauty. Is. Beauty is the senses enlightening. Others, the senses that are applied, if you create something, you created it from your own senses, which are perfected, and therefore the light that is in the thing, in activity or thing, and when I say intelligent activity includes things in the lower worlds, then those who experience it become enlightened. Let me give you another example. Let's say we have a, uh, the Mona Lisa which is a really considered a great painting, right? Let's say you could see it as it w- was originally created, even without all the dirt and messed up the energy changes in it today, which would be even better, right? Wow. And let's say that, that, you know, da Vinci was getting pretty darn close if he wasn't there in creating some of his enlightened sense into the painting itself. Then it's beautiful. That when we look at the painting, the, the literally the light that is in the painting from Da Vinci's senses now enlightens our senses and we are able to share some of the consciousness that helped him to create the light that was in the painting. I'm doing this very small now. I'm not using a lot of people so that you can understand. That's beauty. That's what beauty is. That's the, that, that's the definition. Fascinating, huh? I'm gonna take a very, very quick spray here of my throat. Gotta keep it going because, uh, I'm squeezing a lot in. (laughs) Okay. Alright. So, at the minimum, the first thing we know about masters is through this amazing dance of beauty. They are living a very different kind of life than we are. Their life is expanded enormously in in terms of the experience of meaning. Their life has tremendous more meaning because they have tremendous more experience of the light in form or virtue that is co-created by all those that they interact with together. Now, uh, Masters of the Angel's Wisdom also uh, serves they serve those that are less than them uh, they mostly serve souls, so what they're serving is they're serving uh the group souls of minerals, plants, and animals and some of the sub kingdoms between them and the they when they serve them, they are helping to provide more light in the form that They help to create, and some of those forms are in the multitudes of like millions, lots of bees in the world, that sort of stuff. And so, they're helping to do that on a soul level. Now, how do you do it on a soul level? The soul itself is in the higher mental world. If it's a group soul, it's in the third sub-world of the higher mental world. And they assist that soul with the solar angel of that soul. To achieve better results. Now, how did they do that? Well, the solar angel can't get off of the mental world. It's really a, even higher. It's in the highest part of the mental world. So it can't really exist. But the, the group souls have to work through a very dissociated self structure that doesn't even exist in the same sub-sub world that they exist. So there's a real hard time communicating. And the self structure has to communicate with uh, the form, and uh, if it's a life form, with the life form itself, or if it's pre-life, like a mineral, then it has to communicate with that. So it is a, in a better position to interact appropriately, so that life could grow more, and light, it becomes more enlightened. And this is difficult to do. The energy kingdom has beings that help, they're called divine beings, and they, they do some assisting. But the master sometimes has to intervene because there are so many mistakes, unfortunately, that humans make, and before there were humans, there's still imbalances that take place in the kingdoms because they're left to interact together, and sometimes they do not do a good job. And so a master will make a sudden appearance and make some changes. First of all, in the communication between, let's say, uh the ants and how they're... How they're building their nests etc., and uh and uh the self of the group soul of that particular species of ant, making sure that the ants get a little more uh assistance in making the little tunnels etc in ways that don't collapse in on themselves when it rains or do some other goofy thing they they gotta be given a little better understanding of the pro- process or if they can't understand it at least the information of what to do and it, it it all depends on the nature of the creature as far as how much the master can play a role. But the master will sometimes, when things are getting very, very bad, intervene. Generally, masters don't like to intervene a lot because the system works okay most of the time, maybe 99% of the time. But the 1%, when things get really out of hand, the master will come in and make a change. Now, what is the change? Does the master change the tunnels on the nest? No. The master changes the communication between the group soul and the um, self and then improves that communication so that the self communicates better with the individual ants or whatever creature we're talking about. Now, the way the master improves the communication between the group soul and the self is the group soul sometimes just doesn't have a good enough answer. It's concepts about how to build the tunnels. Is that the tunnels need to go down far enough so that it keeps predators from getting in it goes down to the point where it doesn't drown out from water or rain and uh, moisture and it also uh, provides the right temperature for the creatures, the little ants, to live at because too far down, too cold, or too hot, or whatever. And and also, it's too hard to dig them. Uh, you know, if you go too far, it uses up too much energy from the ants, and they die from that. So you got to kind of balance the whole system out. Sometimes the ground changes, and it, if it changes in a way which is unfamiliar, to the group soul, then the master could come in and give a little hint, like, hey, it might be good if, uh, we don't go quite as deep in this kind of ground. A new concept is introduced, the kind of earth it is. If it's, if it moves easily, maybe you don't have to go quite as far. Or maybe you have to go further. And if it moves hard, you gotta go, you don't go as far. Because the harder soil resists falling, and the softer soil it uh, doesn't and so maybe you gotta you gotta use your your senses to determine this and which is better and which is worse, and in some cases you've gotta deal with right angles or go go sideways even. so these are the kind and I'm making this up of course i am really not that briefed on ant building farms, you know kind of thing, but I did have an ant farm when I was a kid, so maybe I'm <laughs> expert in that now uh, at any rate. Uh So when we look at this whole thing, we can see that the master's input is going to be minimal but to the point and maybe save the extinction of a life form that shouldn't yet be extinct. Not all life forms are saved because sometimes it is their time to no longer be in that form any longer. That's And that's where the plan of the whole system is understood. Shared by the spiritual hierarchy together, and that plan is very important to know because you got. If you don't understand it, you might make a big mistake. Like, oh, they're scheduled to go, and I'm trying to save them. Oh, you know that could be a problem. Yeah, you got to You got to cooperate in the system so that it all works together, and you get the the right kind of results. So we could say that masters are are. Grand architects of life In many respects They have to become virtual experts Along different kinds of life And different ashrams Focus along different forms of life In different ways So, And sometimes they cooperate together When, when there's an intricacy Of the process And there's different ashrams along the same ray That have different focuses and specialties So they all do this To improve life It's complex it is difficult and it it's beyond the thinking capability of human beings. We have not gotten to the point where we could even come close to getting this right. If we started figuring out all of the, just all of the ways that different species make their habitats and decided that we were going to, but let's say we could change the, the, the way the groups all communicated with them, we wouldn't want to do it because we'd probably kill them all off because we'd make huge mistakes in not being conscious enough. It's the consciousness that shows you all the different angles and ways it could go. And so you've got to have the consciousness of the master in order to participate in this particular activity. Do human beings try to sometimes replicate some of this through force? Yeah, but they don't go through group souls they, they, they intervene through physical force. Yeah. You know, well, whoa, I'll just dig holes here around the ants. It'll fix them. You know, get some air down there. You're want know, a little light. You know, you drown them out as soon as it rains. I mean, you know, the whole point of it is that you've got to have such high levels of consciousness. You don't dare start messing with life on, on that scale. And of course we can't anyway. Could we really affect? thousands, billions of different ant, uh, little ant farms, little ant communities. No, we couldn't, not at all at once, anyway. I mean, we could start trying to, um, but at any rate. So, but genetics are starting to do this. We're starting to play with the genetics of living things, and that's going to cause some problems, unless we are able to be instructed, maybe, from the next kingdom. And that could come through more advanced humans, trying to get some of the information. Now, let's talk about that. The Some parts of the um, masters communicate with humans. Believe it or not, it's much smaller than the group soul business. They're way smaller. And masters are not particularly fond of human beings, at least on close interactional levels. Humans have a tendency to become very glamorous That means we desire to have contact with some super beings so we can wear the badge, you know. I have the contact. I'm special, you know. And uh, that's ridiculous. And and as a matter of fact, masters have made a point to virtually not have contact with people who have that kind of attitude. And if you see someone running around saying that, it's almost certain they don't have any contact with the
0: master. of the It's
1: wisdom. So... The point is that they try to limit this because it doesn't really help that much, but sometimes it helps the most advanced humans, which are few and far between, to come up with some improvements in the way humans are interacting with the world around them, including themselves, especially themselves. And so, there, there has been some, uh, you know, significant contact, especially through the second uh, ashram, second way ashram, because their education is a big part of it, and, uh, and and helping people to become more spiritual, more conscious. And if you can if you can increase consciousness, then it, the whole world improves. So there's been a lot of conscious Another way of saying if you can increase the understanding of people and the love of people, especially universal love, that's that's all part of this consciousness. That that would uh, and it's all part of the second way. And that, those ashrams that are second-rate ashrams do a, a a good job, and more masters from some of those ashrams uh, have contact with people than a lot of other ashrams do. But, you see, humans are differentiated, so some humans are not really that interested in developing more consciousness on a conscious level. <laughs> they may be more interested in serving and enlightening the world in number of different ways and so they could have contact with some of the masters of the other ashrams depending upon their level the human's level of specialization in a particular lifetime or lifetimes how advanced their consciousness is and whether or not the uh, master or masters does think it's time that there's some contact the contact only happens between i should say only almost only happens between masters uh, and those that are going through the initiation process on their way out of the human kingdom. Um, and even then, it's very limited. It used to be a lot less limited before about uh, 1925. And then, uh, it got kind of, you know, it was getting to the point where everybody wanted to have their own master. <laughs> they would make little dolls that look like their master. And, oh, master, I'm here, I'm talking to you through their doll. You know, and it got jokingly stupid. And, uh, the masters saw that the glamours in people were going, getting worse and their consciousness was not growing. It was sometimes being deteriorated and it was being used by the dark side to try to control people into dark activities. That being the case, they decided they have council meetings actually, you know, we'll talk about that. Maybe we'll look at our time. And, uh, they, they they get together, they got together with a meeting together, both the lower spiritual hierarchy of kingdom of souls and the planetary side of it, got together and they said, you know what? Let's cut out most of this contact with human beings. We'll keep the people we already got. We're not going to cut them off but we might reduce them a number of times. And uh for the rest of the folk, they've got to do something really exceptional. They have to use all of their capacity of in, in their surface and actually exceed it and then as they're trying to exceed their capacity that's like a call it's called an invocation to a master or masters uh in a particular diverse way uh, a particular ashram to uh to be of assistance and that's how it works now if you don't invoke it you don't get it and the only way you invoke it is to exceed your level of capability which goes past the virtue of nobility, because nobility is doing the very best you can, but you have to do better, or try to do, attempt to do better than you can. Uh Okay, so that's what gets their attention, and then they uh, come in. That's the rule that was made in uh, 1925, and uh, 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 some folks didn't care for that rule, that were humans, uh, especially when they were told about it through through a series of books written by Alice Bailey and uh, that caused uh, a lot of, uh, we'll say, well, some some degree of hostility among certain spiritual groups and, and, and her group people. So, at any rate, the, the important thing to realize here is, is that the masters are, are not looking, running around looking for us. <laughs> you know, let me find a human to teach, you know. That, that's really not happening. And we are pretty selfish while we're physically here. And so that's when we're least likely to meet a master. Because you've got to really serve to a tremendous level in the physical world to be a master. Astral world, better chance of meeting a master if you're in the, one of the two spiritual sub-worlds there. And in the mental world, you could meet masters because they serve uh some people that deserve service in the mental world to help them wake up and help them to serve better and get closer to their soul. So you have more chance there. Uh all spiritual initiations are being done in the mental world. So their masters are have a greater presence. But this is the lower mental world, not the higher. And uh, if you try to do an initiation in the physical world now, the humans are too dark, their senses are too resistant, there's too much maya and there's
0: too much glamour.
1: And the results are that you could literally kill the person. <laughs> uh, some initiation, well, you just got initiated, but you're dead. <sighs> oh, okay, well, where am I now? Well, you're in the next world. Okay. But, that of course, they wouldn't do that. There's no reason to initiate somebody and make them dead. So, um, that's, the, and, and of course there, I know some people have written material that, that claims it's exactly what has been done sometimes, and I, I, maybe there's a rare, rare circumstance to do that, but as a general rule and principle, it isn't applied. That's not, you know, you're not going to be initiated in the astral world <laughs> so that you die from the physical and you have a damaged astral body or something. That's crazy. It wouldn't make no sense. But, at any rate, so, there is a time, maybe in the future, where this will change, uh, but people have to have their bodies in better shape. So the senses can handle the energy of initiation, which unifies the senses to a prescribed level greater than the person is capable of doing themselves. Sound familiar?
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. So initiation is the guiding principle or level at which a person gets contact with a master or close to it to need to have contact with master to continue in the process of initiation. You can see that because you have to exceed the capability and just a little bit more of that than that level is what happens during, or somewhat more is what happens in an initiation. Really interesting how it's correspondence to that. Okay. So, masters spend time, uh, but not a lot these days, uh, dealing with human beings. Uh, they, uh, and the human beings they deal with are advanced human beings that are in, in the initiatory process. They may not be an advanced initiate, they may just be an initiate, but they are working in a process that's important. And, uh, you've gotta have a, a master helping you if you're going through an initiation. During the initiation zap time, I call it. It's really just a few seconds, but, uh, it unifies the senses to a new higher level. Which is important, okay, and it's the mental senses that are that are really zapped, and then the lower senses become there's some suffering about because they become somewhat uh, in contentious position with the with with the mental senses, so your astral and physical senses are more uh disordered in comparison to the mental senses, and uh, you've got to bring them around yourself that's because the mental initiation is what's taking place. Not the physical. If you did it in the physical world, it would cover the other two bodies and it would join them all together. But you have to have them pretty well already uh at the same or similar levels to make that all work, right? Okay. Now, if you look at this from the from the master's viewpoint they're not really thrilled about human beings because human beings uh, are, are generally messing up the world. That's what they're doing. They're going to correct a lot of the things that human beings are messing up, uh, and so they see the the results of our our, our, our mistakes or of uh, our selfishness. That's what they live with. They also live in this um, idyllic issue of of beauty, uh, an a issue but a condition of beauty, and they also have. Uh, the, the, the lower masters have places they live in the, uh, in the etheric world and in the astral world that, uh, allows them to bring in the, um, the life that needs protection. If it's been damaged by humans or sometimes even by evil, they will protect it in, uh, in a in the place they create for themselves as a place of protection. They can't keep things there indefinitely, but they can keep the things there for a period of time to improve it and make it more beautiful and to bring it into a, a, a level where it, darkness can't destroy it or human beings can't hurt it and so it's it's, it's a it's a way of saving and that's one of the jobs masters do uh, saving life and saving life that maybe karmically they can't. There's certain karmic implications. I'm not going to go into those tonight. That would be in a whole other show again. Um, but there are karmic implications that allows a master to save may, maybe an animal or a plant. Uh, but, and in other cases, the master can't because it's still on an individual level that, that, that this is taking place. Even if the group of plants or group of animals is there, it's very small. And so it's not being done through the group soul; it's being done for the individual level. Now, why would you want to save an individual little you know money rabbit or something I'm just picking something up out of the air okay uh, and put it in your uh, around where you're going to create your own uh living space, and they do create these lower uh, masters of the uh what we'll call it the liberated soul masters those those things do create places where they actually uh, hang out but the reason you would do it on an individual level is you see an individual that has special characteristics but has is suffering or is going to be destroyed early in its existence and you say those special characteristics karmically should be kept alive and maybe you want to, to pass on the genes of that of that specific individual and help that group soul out. That's what master's do. I hope you're following what I'm saying. And so they don't take the things that are necessarily uh the healthiest. Sometimes they're very unhealthy, but they are sometimes uniquely or individually very advanced, maybe in some element of consciousness, or some way of interacting, some way of getting around a certain instinct that uh, is common to the species, but not necessarily helpful. And so they do this. And, this allows a uh, life to benefit from their presence and their service by doing this so they this is how they live uh these are again the the beginning lower part of the spiritual hierarchy and they uh they have abodes even in the lower mental world, usually uh in the fourth subworld, and they also have uh in the first subworld. And enlightened so it's hard to understand for our purposes what this means because we don't understand those worlds so much but they are able to communicate with other masters in these realms uh, and they are able to uh, help and serve souls they are able to help and serve uh, human beings that are at the mental part lower mental part of their life. Uh, expectancy, which is the end of their, of their personal life. And they are, uh, they're capable of also being in the physical and etheric world. They do not have abodes in the physical world at this time. I-, I know there's some books that write about that, but that was a long time ago. And, um, I'm not sure that all the books are true, but I'm sure that there was a time when masters had physical Places. There's no place on earth today that could happen. And there hasn't been for a while. So, don't get that in your head that that's what's going on. Oh well, if I could just go to this country or that country, I'm sure I'll find the master hanging out on the edge of a mountain somewhere so That's not true. You'd have to get to the, to the first subworld. The first subworld of the etheric world to find masters, and some of them are up in the sky. <laughs> they're not where we think they are. I mean, they could be anywhere. They could be under the water, they could be above the earth. And the point is that that's, the, that's not the issue because they're electromagnetic in content. It's easier for them to do it in the sky. That has to do with chronic aspects and the way that the energies are represented electromagnetically. But regardless, uh, if you want to meet a master, it's almost impossible to go look for one. You could only meet one by your service. And if your service is in the right way, and you're need- it's needed, you can meet a master. And if you want to visit a master's place of where they live, the reason for being there most likely would be to participate in some group process with people like yourself who are initiates and who have a need uh, to learn something that the master finds enough in common to do it as a group rather than individually because individually is a waste of the time. So that's why you'd be in a group on that basis. That's usually done during almost all Accepted initiates and some uh, third and fourth level initiates uh, usually earlier in their life because it's an efficient way of teaching them. You don't want to say, well, I'll spend time teaching each individual fourth level initiate." Well, that would be crazy. What a waste. Same thing with some of the advanced third level initiates. Be same, same thing. Why, why waste your time? Because you can get them together and they probably aren't. Not that far away from each other in consciousness and you can teach certain things that need to be taught. And, uh, it's a good way of communicating and it builds us glamour. Individual contact builds more glamour except in those who are exceptionally serving here in the physical world. And even then, those visits are usually no more than a couple times a year or so. And, and, and the point is, it's not necessarily the greatest time. Answers don't appear just to say, well, good job. No, they usually appear to tell you what the sucky stuff you've done and how you need to correct it. That's really what it's about, not good job. If they say good job, they mean it. And it's usually because you did a good job, but that's not why they necessarily appear. They appear to, to solve problems, help troubled spiritual disciples get through the very difficult times that they usually create for themselves and also the world creates for them as well. And also the dark side of the Different ashrams are focused on on different parts of existence. I'm not going to be able to go through all of the parts of this, but each master is specializing in a way to contribute to the life of the planet. The first ashram is really dealing with how uh, the senses of the races are going to grow and how there's going to be a, a shift in rays on the planet and some of the political aspects of uh, countries and groups of countries and all kinds of stuff like that that gets mostly into what we'll call the creative side of things. They're very concerned about whether human beings are creating things that are enlightening the world or whether they're, they're not. If they're not, then they will enact certain things that will destruct, destroy both the things that humans create that are destructive themselves, and in the process some of the humans will lose their lives as well. Uh, that's, not, that's not a judgment, and they don't go around hunting people and chopping them off. They do it on a group basis. Certain groups of humans may be doing such terrible things that as a group that may need to be taken out, so to speak, and allowed to reincarnate at differing times so they don't join together and to face certain difficulties. uh, usually the opposing elements of what the forces were. So if a group of people are a bunch of Nazis and are going after Jews, in their next lifetime, they may be born Jews who have a bunch of Arabs after them so you see it, it changes from time to time, but their 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 goal is to try to balance out what we would call the creative side with um, things that are negatively creative and must be destroyed so you can call them creation and destruction beings through their process. They, uh, they are most concerned about the development of, of the sub-races and uh, eventually the races and the, uh, and the movement of the race themselves, uh, in the planetary system and how, uh, they're going to change over time. So they have, that's what they're doing. The second way Ashurmayr I told you about, they're, they're, they're concerned about raising the consciousness of people. Love is a critical element. They, the aspect, they're the folks who are concerned about teaching angels wisdom. What I'm doing here is like a second rate kind of thing. And, uh, if I were a member of an ashram, I would be a member of the second rate ashram. I'm not saying if I am or not, I'm just saying that that's how it would work. And in addition, uh, the second rate ashram, the leader of the second ray ashram, is the leader of the entire, uh, uh, spiritual hierarchy, which is a little hard to understand, at least the lower part of the spiritual hierarchy, and has a direct connection to the highest part of the spiritual hierarchy, which is the planetary part. So, ultimately, and that that being is sometimes referred to as the Christ, but it wasn't Jesus the Christ, it's a different name. Other people like to refer to that being as Maitreya, but, you know, it's there's all kinds of names. That this being attached throughout history, so it's hard to say. The life expectancy. We go into the life expectancy. The life expectancy of beings in the lower level of the um, of the ashrams, where you find. Let me put it like this: where you find masters who are mostly fifth level initiates and some of the sixth, sixth level, uh, beginning parts of the sixth level initiates. Those masters. They're called Kohans, by the way. Those masters uh generally live somewhere in the range between a quarter and a half million earth years. At least a half, Now, they, their lifetimes are changing at this point because of the nature of the way the rounds work, but but they live a long period of time in that level of consciousness. That's hard for us to understand, I know, and it's for a lot of people it's confusing. Well, humans only live 700 lifetimes. That isn't even that long, right? I mean, if you put it in terms of a soul, yeah, the individual human soul lives a lot less time than the freed uh soul does, I mean, and the liberated soul does in the buddhic world. The buddhic world is, has expanded time dilation, so they live they live a lot more years. But it's, don't think of it just in years of our time. Think of it in terms of their time too. And they're also living a, a totally different kind of, uh, existence. But even in our time, in our time, they're living a quarter of a million, half a million years. So I do want you to think about that in terms of, you know, we say, well, how come, well, isn't this master been around for a long time? He's been there for a thousand years. You heard him talk about ten thousand years ago. Well, that's not that long. That's really not that long. Some masters move on eventually. Of course, they all do into the uh, next kingdom uh beyond the kingdom of souls to the planetary kingdom and their lifetimes are unimaginably long because they're in getting into millions of years and that's of our time here and to them it's even longer and it's, it's a huge uh huge lifetime it's a, it's the a meaning uh most meaningful life in comparison to where we are but compounded by what we think of as time but time is really joining together, so it's difficult for us to say they live these many years because they can live both in the future and the past, and they can also live in the present. So what we think of as time is is totally misleading, but nonetheless, their experiences in that time, the meaning of those experiences, is as though we were living something like that one, because they're picking up so much uh, more. Meaning in every, every minute and every second of their time. It's, uh, they're doing so many much greater things than what we're doing. Okay, so again, all, all of these ashrams, uh, and let's get back to some of them. The third Ray Ashram is, uh, doing, uh, mostly, uh, work that we would consider to be the action side or activity side of all life. And particularly when humans are available or humans are present, the civilization or the development of the lower kingdoms absorbed in some way and used by the human kingdom as part of the extension of human senses and bodies. So they are in control of and work with that development. They are much more active once humans are on the planet. And our planet is along the third ray, so the third ray ashram is a, is, is a biggie. And it has uh you know uh, the the master that's ahead of it is is a, is in charge of a whole larger range of things than most of the other masters are so more differentiation while more in, uh, larger levels of of power and control over certain aspects of existence interesting. When evil gets really out of hand, the third-ray ashram is usually called upon to come up with some alternatives. Sometimes they're good, and sometimes they aren't so great for humans, but they are good alternatives for life itself. And moving on to the fourth-ray ashram, that that ashram really uh, are people who specialize in uh, the focus of beauty and trying to make spirit and energy work together in the best ways possible in every dimension of time and space where spirit and energy is separated, which starts at the spiritual plane or the plane we sometimes refer to as the omic or nirvana some people call it that. That particular plane splits up spirit and energy and that ashram is attempting to uh, get spirit to function with energy so that it's thinking for the energy and for itself and helping uh, create the virtue, uh, light and form of beauty. And it's a fourth ray action. So it's a pretty, uh, it's right in the middle, you would say, trying to balance out all of the different types of activities that take place. And so masters that are doing this sort of thing have a general focus, general focus, uh, along diversity and specialization, dealing closer to beauty and closer to spirit and energy and balancing. The fifth-ray ashram uh, deals mostly with what we would think of as the mental world and science. And th- that ashram, or those ashrams, there's several, n- numerous ones, are, are really, the masters that belong to that are masters who, uh have a lot of interaction with some human beings, that they also have a tremendous amount of interaction with the structure of the world. And we don't understand that very well. Earth is a highly structured planet, but it isn't a fifth-rate planet like Venus was, or is, but was in physical form. And so the structure of the planet is critical uh for determining how humans have to interact with themselves through the mental world and trying to deal with the structure of the planet. So they kind of are like the forerunners for how humans are going to have to figure out better ways of survival uh, because we're very, very mental beings, you see, and the, that world deals so strongly with this concept of structure. And it has to do with math and it has to do with a lot of things we think of as science. And the ashrams alone, the six-ray have to do with how God is represented in the world. Before human beings, the six-ray ashram would, or when human beings are not uh, important for one reason or another, the six-ray ashram particularly deals with how the group souls uh, interrelate spiritually with life and how focused they are uh, with their solar angels on co-creating with God. After you get human life, then it has to deal with how God is represented to humanity. And we call those religions, of course, but it's how we choose to communicate and uh, have a interaction with God. And we create these various ways based upon our consciousness and our intelligence and our abilities. And also, the last thing, the most important thing over time is service. As we serve more, we, the religions become more and more containing ageless wisdom in them. And, uh, that's good. And so, uh, as we serve less, or our religions aren't as well developed along the line of service, uh, we, you know, anthropomorphize God and make God into a more human kind of thing that it isn't. And, uh, it leads us into selfishness and possessiveness and my God is the only God and if you don't believe in my God I'm gonna kill you or you're going we're enemies or crazy stuff like that. It's not, it's not, it's no, no sense whatsoever. And so the beings that are in, into that are really involved with some elements of, of how humans are creating religion through spiritual disciples, but they're also involved with the group soul aspect still of how dedicated the group souls are to trying to create an enlightenment in their particular species or particular type of free life. And the dedication and the uh, way that the group soul applies it uh, varies. Some group souls are good at it and some are not so great. And so there's actually virtually a focused, we'll call it, uh, attitude coming from these masters to intervene and try to get the group souls to function in a way that represents more of God's life. Not so easy to do, by the way, with some group souls. And then, uh, and also then you get to the Devonic side, and the beings have the same exact issues, so you've got to deal with those as well. I'm, I'm leaving them out, I'm going too fast, but that's because we don't have a lot of time left. Okay. And then the seventh ray ashrams really deal with the idea of synthesis. Synthesis is the ability to take various different kinds of, we'll call it, knowledge, and blend them together. And then also beyond knowledge, which is a third ray aspect, because there's big sympath- sympathetic relationship between the third ray and seventh ray. These masters are very concerned about how it is that there's going to be a, a a use of energy that is not dark and that is moving consistently towards light. And so they're on guard trying to do that. It's very difficult to do because it applies most in the physical world where the opposite is happening, where human beings are tending towards darkness and not towards light. But it leads to an economical state in which there's organization. Things are organized, but not like the Nazis organized things to make destruction and death, but organized in a way in which everything becomes easier to do, because it takes less energy to achieve the same amount of interaction with greater levels of light in each extra or next interaction to take place. If you achieve that result, then you're applying the seventh ray in the maximum way possible, and the synthesis is the easiest and best uh, output or, or result of the process. It's not so easy to do, and it's pretty hard in the physical world to achieve it. So those masters are, again, involved with human beings, but also they're involved with things that, uh, we'll say, have been the results of or negative results of human beings and also the dark side. Uh, they aren't as destructive to evil as people or are being, as, uh, masters are, or in the first way, But what they do do is they create a lot of roadblocks to evil, uh, in their, uh, creations. And so they're very, are very helpful because they can slow down evil by thousands of years, uh, in some of the things that they decide to do. So the, it's, it's important that they be around. It's important that they they serve as they do, because if they didn't, uh, we would be over with some time ago, uh, but luckily they've managed to slow things enough so that evil has not succeeded as much as it would like to. All right, so that gives you some idea of what these ashrams are like. Also, the important thing is that the masters are serving in these ashrams all the time, interrelated. They're not just segregated in an ashram. The masters also can be male or female. They have, up to this time, been mostly, because of the sub-race of the races, the fifth race, it's a male sub-race. So there's more males that are presently masters than have been in the past. And now we're going to start having more and more females. Uh, there aren't that many female masters today. Uh, masters do marry both each other and sometimes students uh, uh especially masters in the um the kingdom of so they will marry each other they don't have children but they will marry each other uh and they can marry uh, usually arhats which is the fourth level initiate and sometimes even uh advanced to third level initiates. So they they have that ability if they choose, and they do sometimes do that. Uh so the idea that there is no Sexuality is wrong, and the idea that there is no uh, male-femaleness is wrong. That, although a master could choose to change their sex, that's weird, but they actually have that option uh, around the sixth level of initiation here on Earth. So, I mean, it actually is, and the only reason they do that is because of service, the need for service, and there maybe there's not enough females, so a male may only become a female. That doesn't mean they're homosexual, it means they actually change their, their sexuality. And sexuality becomes fixed, uh, uh, close to the middle of the third initiation. So, uh, at that point, once you're a third level initiate, it's a good chance you're not going to be anything other than the sex you're at. That, point but certainly when you get past a certain point in the beginning of the or past the beginning of the third initiation you're going to be fixed until you get to the sixth and you may stay at that point or change complicated i know i've only got a few minutes left uh you know there's a lot more to talk about this subject and there's a lot more to explain about how masters actually interact and experience things but we are out of time for now. so what i'm going to do is i want to say thank you to this station to for, I don't know how long it's been, it's been a little less than two years, but it's been a long time, for giving us 35 minutes. I want you to know what that represents. It's thousands of dollars, several thousands of dollars of actual money. It's a donation because we've been using that time uh, to further the show and the teach. And so, we really appreciate that and uh and it's a tremendous uh advantage that we've had, and one that we do appreciate and We are glad that the station is using now that time to generate some income for itself, which it needs to do, or else none of us are going to be here right because the station's got be so we really appreciate that and my uh, thanks to uh Don and Doug who uh are running the show and running the station. And, doing all that stuff, and everybody behind the scenes. I think Seth is still around engineering sometimes and other people. I don't know everybody this, at this point. I used to know more of the people, actually, but I kind of uh, lost track of that. But I want to make sure that, that appreciation is, is well, well represented, and everybody that is listening tonight and in the future realizes that this has been a gift. That we have uh, we have enjoyed uh, thirty five thirty five minutes a week is not a small amount of radio time, believe me, and so it's a gift and we really appreciate it. And uh, we'll go on with the, the same Show. Uh, It'll be just a little bit shorter. And in in our future, uh, I'm going to do even more of the kinds of things that I think you're all interested in about. And we'll re- revisit this subject maybe in a few weeks. I don't know exactly when. Uh, to have a continuation of tonight's show because there's some things I think that are further interesting uh, to know about the life of masters uh of angels' wisdom and to get a better understanding of who and what they really are and what, what their life is like. After all, we're going to be doing that someday, for sure. Well, we're out of time for right now. And until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for
0: Why Life Is.